right now we're doing a Things to Come series as we look at kinds of things that are going on in the world, but more so the things that we see coming up on that prophetic kind of timetable and the different events that are, are going to be unfolding. And so we've been following a bit of a timeline right here. This is what we're going to be looking at over the next number of Sundays, starting with the rapture, which we started last Sunday. We're going to finish up our talk on the rapture today. And then we're going to move in next Sunday to look at the tribulation period, the seven-year tribulation period, which then culminates with the return of Jesus Christ at a second coming. And then moving into the millennial reign of Christ, the thousand-year reign of Christ here on the earth where we'll be reigning and ruling with Jesus brings us to the final rebellion at the end of the thousand years and then the final eternal state, the new heaven and new earth. So those are the things that we're going to take time to look at and kind of look at where we are um, in the world here today. We've got a bit more of a uh, detailed timeline. You can't read that here, I know, but we got a printout of these on the back table. If we're out of those, we'll make new ones. Let me know if you didn't get one, you want one, or I can email it to you. But a, a much better timeline that fills in a lot of stuff. But this is generally just kind of what we're breaking down over the next few Sundays here as we look at uh, things to come. So as I said, we're looking at the rapture in these uh, last Sunday and today. We're taking the very word rapture and we're breaking it down um, and looking at each letter, why we believe in a rapture, more so why we believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. So we, we broke that down to recap what we looked at last week. We looked at those first three letters. The reason for the tribulation is, of course, we talked about Daniel chapter 9, this great prophecy given to Daniel. And it was it's called the 70-week prophecy of Daniel. A week in Jewish idiom is used to, to define or, or look at, you know, a group of sevens. So what we're seeing actually is 70 groups of seven years. 490 years, Daniel's told, uh, are, are prophesied for your people, the Israelite people, Jewish people, and for your holy city, Jerusalem. And then 69 weeks, or 483 years, is broken down from the time of the decree to go and rebuild Jerusalem, which was given in Nehemiah chapter 2. And the Bible gives us the dating of that all the way to the time of the Messiah. The Bible says it's going to be 483 years or 173,880 days. From the time of that decree to go and rebuild Jerusalem until Jesus came riding into Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday, the first time he allowed himself to be worshiped or praised as the Messiah was exactly 173,880 days. God's word fulfilled exactly as it said it would be amazing. So what we see then, there's one more group of seven years. Hasn't been fulfilled. When does that happen? Or when did that happen? Well, we know after Jesus came into Jerusalem, Israel again took him to the cross, rejected him by and large. Israel was set aside. We are walking and living now in the church age, this age of grace where Israel is blinded in part, but God's not done with Israel. God's going to resume focus on Israel when it's going to happen in the tribulation that fulfills those last seven years of Daniel's prophecy from Daniel chapter 9. Fascinating. So that's the reason for the tribulation. God renews his focus in on Israel, begins to stir their hearts. Paul says in Romans 11 that all Israel will be saved. When is that going to happen? Not, they're not all going to be saved because they're Jewish, 
They're going to be saved because in the end times, in the tribulation, they're going to repent. They're going to turn to the Lord. They're going to see their Messiah, Jesus, for who he is. And so there's going to be a great turning to the Lord in the tribulation. But the reason is, as we'll see here today, God's judgment being poured out, but God's stirring his people again. So it's a, a set time that God is focusing on his people Israel. Then we saw different accounts in scripture. Prophecy, or, or sorry, rapture is not some kind of new theology or something that's just kind of been made up in the last, you know, several hundreds of years. This is something that we see precedent set in God's word. We saw it with Enoch, who was raptured up, translated when? Before the flood came. Enoch was taken up to heaven. We saw it with Elijah, he was taken up to heaven. We saw it with Jesus as he was caught up to heaven after his resurrection. We saw it again with Philip in the book of Acts and with Paul, who says he was caught up to the third heaven. So we see a precedence in God's word of people that were caught up. We also see a great typology in, in the Jewish wedding, and we talked a bit about that last week here. We won't get into that now. Listen to last week, see if you missed it. But then the place of the church is important too, because Revelation unfolds for us just a great timeline of things to come. A lot of people look at the book of Revelation and go, man, book of Revelation, that is a hard book. That's a difficult book, man. I just kind of stay away from that. We just kind of, but we leave that for, you know, the scholarly people. Listen, the book of Revelation is one of the easiest books in the New Testament to understand because it gives us a built-in outline right there in Revelation 1 verse 19. John is told, write the things that you have seen, the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. What were the things that John saw? Chapter 1, Jesus Christ. Not just Jesus, but resurrected Jesus, conquering King, victorious King Jesus. John sees Jesus Christ in chapter 1. And then he says, write the things which are. Chapters 2 and 3 detail for us the church. The churches that were present and existing in John's day. The things that are at John's time. The church age. Chapters 2 and 3. But then in chapter 4, suddenly we hear in chapter 4 of Revelation, come up here. John is told to come up here. Let me show you things that will take place after this. After what? After the church. John is caught up to heaven. What is that a picture of? The rapture. And then in chapters 4 and 5, we see the scene going on in heaven. We hear the song being sung in heaven. And what are we hearing being sung in, in heaven? Revelation chapter 5, verse 9 tells us this. And I love it here. Nine, chapter 5, verse 9. You are worthy to take the scroll to open its seals, for you are slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. The choir in heaven in Revelation 5, 9 is singing, you have redeemed us to God by your blood. Who can sing that song? The church. Only the church. It's not angels. Angels haven't been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. The church has. And the church is present in heaven before the tribulation begins to unfold in chapter 6. All the way to chapter, from chapter 6 to the middle of chapter 19, you don't hear the mention of the church again. Why? Because the church isn't around for the tribulation. The church is in heaven. When all these things are unfolding on the earth during the tribulation. Why? Because we've already seen the tribulation is for God's people, Israel, to restore them, to renew them, to turn their hearts back to Jesus again, as well as many others that will get saved during the tribulation period. So this is what's happening here. This is what we've been looking at here in this word rapture. Well, we continue it on now, looking at T, and, and we look at the book of Thessalonians. First Thessalonians chapter 4. If you're not there... 
Make your way there, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And the book of Thessalonians, and specifically 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, is I think one of the more defining um, books and chapters regarding the, the teaching of the rapture. Now Paul had visited the city of Thessalonica, been there about three weeks, and then was kind of forced out of the city, but he had no doubt begun to teach the church there about the soon return of the Lord. And it became evident because there were those then in the church at Thessalonica that began to pass away. And the people there are thinking, wait a second, Paul, you told us the Lord's coming soon. Be ready for the coming of the Lord. And now people have passed away. Wait a second, that wasn't supposed to happen. We're supposed to be all ready for Jesus, to see Jesus again. Now they've died. What's going to happen to them? And people were kind of getting a little bit worried. A little panicked over, have they missed out on seeing the Lord? So Paul writes in this letter now in 1 Thessalonians to encourage them and comfort them. And he writes to talk about the rapture as our blessed hope. Look at what he writes here, starting in verse 13 of 1 Thessalonians 4. He says, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and thus we shall always be with the Lord therefore comfort one another with these words and the church all said amen Amen. that's a great comfort for us here my friends now understand something here Paul is addressing the resurrection of the saints because you see what they're seeing in the church at Thessalonica as they're waiting the return of the Lord people are dying in faith and they're thinking what's going to What's going to happen to them? Have they missed out on seeing the Lord? Paul is looking to reassure them that those that have died in faith, and he uses that term falling asleep, not not in the sense of, you know, the spirit of slumber that comes on the Sunday services here sometimes. We're not talking about that kind of sleep where you got to nudge something. We're talking about, he's using this term because the person that has died in faith is, is still alive. It just seems like they just kind of gone to sleep they just kind of laid their 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 body down to rest ultimately and they've entered into the rest but here's the deal is that as believers in christ when we die yes we lay our physical body down but our our spirit our soul is with the lord paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the lord so we are with the lord and paul's reassuring them that your friends your loved ones that have died they are with the lord right now and so he says when jesus comes back again and it's in the context of the rapture he says there that he's going to bring with them at the end of verse 14 he's going to bring with them those who sleep in jesus and he says listen and we're not going to get, you know, a, an advanced kind of uh, ticket here. We're not going to precede those that have fallen asleep. They're going to be reunited with their physical bodies. When Jesus comes back, that's when the resurrection of the saints takes place, where they are going to come back with Jesus at the rapture to meet the Lord in the air with us who are on the earth. But first, their bodies are going to be resurrected. And, and this 
this isn't just, you know, their bodies that have been decaying. This is going to be a new body. And then we who are alive, Paul says, and remain are going to be caught up to meet them in the air where we'll be with the Lord forever. So that idea caught up, that's that Greek word harpazo, where the Latin Vulgate translated it as raptus, where we get our word rapture. You see, a lot of people love to try to dismiss the rapture idea by saying, that's not even in the Bible. You just are making this stuff up. It's right here in 1 Thessalonians 4. We'll see it elsewhere in scripture. We've already said it's right there in Revelation 4, where John is told to come up here, the idea of the rapture. But this is the idea caught up. And, and so we're going to be caught up if we're alive at the time of the rapture. And I believe, and I, don't, I could be wrong, but I believe we're that generation that's going to see the coming of the Lord. And I want to live expectantly that way. And listen, I could be very wrong. I could have, you know, my kids you know, 60 years from now with me on my deathbed saying, Dad, man, you really had that wrong. Why'd you have to talk about the rapture so much? I'd be like, man, I would not change a moment. I want to live every day as though Jesus can come back today. And I want to live hopeful, expectant. And if he never does, I will not be disappointed because it'd be far greater to live with that expectancy that he can show up today than to live without that hope. You with me? All right. So, Harpazo caught up and so we're going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air with all those that are receiving their now glorified, resurrected bodies. We're going to have a great reunion with our loved ones that have gone on to be with the Lord, that have lived with the Lord in, in, in spirit and soul, but now are reunited with their bodies and we're reunited with them. And this is going to be so much greater than any reunion we've ever experienced here on this earth where we all look at one another saying, man, time has not been too kind on you, has it? None of us will be saying that in the air. We're going to be looking at each other going, man, look at that body. I don't, actually, I don't think we'll be saying it like that. That's kind of a little bit cringy right there. You're like, don't look at me like that. But we're going to be in a glorified body made for heavens. Isn't that awesome? And guess what? There's not going to be any gyms or treadmills or exercise bikes in heaven. We're not going to need them because we've been given a resurrected body. This is what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 when he says this. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible, and we are all corruptible, must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. Every day you wake up, you realize your own mortality. That's why we have deodorant and stuff like that, right? You recognize that. So when this corruptible, then when this corruptible is put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Paul is speaking of the rapture and the resurrection, no doubt. But for the saint, the believer today, that's going to take place at the rapture. When in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, do you know how fast the twinkling of an eye is? Anybody? Can somebody help me with how fast the twinkling of an eye is? <laughs> I asked, uh, somebody told me after the second service today, it was like, I can't remember what they said. It was like 10, let's go with a nanosecond, Tony, I like it, a nanosecond. And then if you need to know what a nanosecond is, just ask Tony after the service, because I still don't know what that means exactly. But it's fast, right? 
twinkling of an eye. It's like nothing. You got just blip. We're going to be changed. That's going to come at the rapture. That's our blessed hope. So when Paul says to comfort one another with these words, it's it's regarding dead believers not missing out on anything and it's in the context of the rapture our blessed hope so be comforted today now notice i love this it says that jesus is going to descend from heaven with a shout with the trumpet of god i love that trumpet of god now the the passage in first corinthians that we read already you know in the new king james it says um at the last trump, right? And a lot of people in the last couple of years were like, oh my goodness, the last trump. I think, I think that must be referring to President Trump. That we're in the days. This is it. It's happening. The Lord's coming. We got the last trump. Get ready. Right? I, I, don't, I don't think that the Holy Spirit had, you know, Donald Trump in mind at the writing of this scripture here. But here's the thing is that trumpets are important. Trumpets had a very um, important role throughout Scripture. They've been used a different, uh, in different ways throughout the Bible. First of all, to declare war. Like I said, you know, that, that the rapture is going to proceed, but then usher in the tribulation period, which is a time of God's judgment for a Christ-rejecting world. It was also used to gather God's people, and that's what we're going to see happen at that trumpet that sounds here in 1 Thessalonians 4, is Jesus is coming to gather his people, that we might be with the Lord forevermore. And then Romans used trumpets to announce the arrival of an important person. Oh, there's none greater, none more important than Jesus Christ coming onto the scene, and that's what we're going to see happening at the rapture. Now, some have kind of confused you know, this trumpet in 1 Thessalonians 4 with the trumpets that are going to sound in Revelation, specifically chapters 8 to 11. And yet, in Revelation, they are blown by angels. Um, they are trumpets blown by angels. And this one in 1 Thessalonians 4 is the trumpet of God, it says. Before the last three trumpets sound in Revelation, an angel announces, woe, 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 to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpets of the three angels who are about to sound. Whereas in Thessalonians, it's not whoa, 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 it's whoa, this is awesome. Jesus is here and we are seeing him face to face finally and we are going to heaven to dwell with him for the next seven years during the tribulation. I mean, this is an exciting moment. It is not a, a dread moment. It's not whoa, 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 it's whoa this is awesome we're seeing jesus finally face to face so the message is comfort one another well next as we continue on in our rapture word we look at urgency or better said imminency imminency having an urgency in these matters the bible teaches the imminent return of jesus christ this means this is something that could happen at any time. There's nothing that needs to happen on the prophetic clock or in any kind of fulfillment of scripture before the rapture. There's nothing else that needs to happen before the rapture takes place. We're awaiting the rapture of Jesus Christ. If we don't have a rapture, then we don't have an imminent return of Jesus. How so? Well, some believe that, you know, we're going to go through the tribulation period. So 
if we suddenly see, you know, some world leader coming on the scene and signing a peace treaty with Israel like Daniel 9 talks about, like we see happening in Revelation, well, suddenly you go, oh my goodness, that's what Revelation is talking about. Looks like we're in the tribulation. Well, let's start counting down seven years because we know this is going to be a seven-year period that God has already prophesied and prophesied to the day. Let's start counting down the days. Or when you see the Antichrist standing in the, in the temple, halfway point to the tribulation, seeking to be worshipped as God, the abomination of desolation, you go, oh my goodness, I lost track of those first years. But now I know, three and a half years, you see, you begin to see and specify the timing. Whereas Jesus says, nobody's going to know the day or the hour. Matthew chapter 24, turn there with me if you got your Bibles open. Matthew chapter 24. We read there in verse 42. Matthew 24, verse 42. Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. And then in Matthew 25, verse 13. Much the same. Jesus again says, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Listen, my friends, we're not going to know the day. We're not going to know the hour. I believe this reveals to us that this is an imminent return of Jesus that we need to be living for, prepared for at any moment. Living excitedly, expectantly in. We're not going to know. But if we go through the tribulation, guess what? We're going to start to have some timelines unfolding for us that we're going to be able to track. The rapture, the rapture is that which allows us to have an imminent return of Jesus that the Bible teaches. Now, there's been a lot of people that love to come on the scene and say, you know what? Man, we've, we've cracked some code. We've broken things down. We've figured out, you know, when, when the rapture is going to happen or when the, the coming of the Lord is. You got guys like Harold Camping back in... When was Harold Camping around, like 90s maybe? I don't know. But all through history, there's been people that come on the scene and said, we know when the coming of the Lord is going to be. We got it nailed right down to the day. And when you hear those things, you can go, well, I'll tell you when he's not coming. It's going to be that day you just said he's coming because nobody knows. And the minute that we start to get some predictions, I, I think we can rest assured that he's not coming that day. And it's already been proven true so far. But with the rapture, here's the deal is we're looking for the coming of Jesus and not the coming of the Antichrist. There's a lot of people that are trying to look at more for the things that we're going to see happening in Revelation and the Antichrist coming on the scene, and they're looking more towards those things than they are to Jesus. We're not called to be trying to study and figure out these things. when they, We're told to be waiting for Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7 says, So that you come short of no gift, eagerly waiting the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 3.20, for our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to be eagerly, expectantly waiting for Jesus and nothing else. Because we believe in an imminent return of Jesus Christ. Now going back to what we looked at in 1 Thessalonians 4, you look at the church there. They were all expecting Jesus to come at any moment now. So much so that when loved ones died, they're like, this isn't the plan. This isn't how it's supposed to unfold. What's happening? They're getting worried because they're ready for an imminent return of Jesus. And Paul had to, again, comfort them with those words saying, no, don't worry. Those loved ones haven't missed out. They're with Jesus right now. And soon they're going to have their, their body reunited with them and where we're all going to be reunited when we meet Jesus in the air. 
And I find living with that expectation and anticipation of the Lord's return very comforting. I don't know about you, but I live, I, I love to live life knowing that any moment we're going to see Jesus. And though we face trials in this world, and we do, I keep going, you keep going, because we excitedly expect any moment that Jesus is going to be calling us home where we'll be with him forever. So we can stop focusing in worry with what is to come in this world and start focusing worshipfully in who is coming, who is out of this world. And he is. And one day we're going to be called out of this world to be reunited with Jesus forever and ever. So stop focusing with worry. And I see so many Christians sadly doing that. I don't know if I already mentioned that this service. Maybe I did already. I'll repeat myself. But I, I hear some Christians, you know, who love to follow along with, you know, prophecy teachers. And there's some great ones out there. And they go to prophecy conferences and everything. But then I hear this undertone of like, oh, man, I'm just so, so scared about what's to come. Man, it's going to be dark. It's going to be evil days. And they just, and it almost like bums them out and it just depresses them. I'm like, wait a second. When we're talking about these things, we should be excited because it's our blessed hope that jesus is coming soon it's only when you begin to think that you're going through the tribulation that it starts to get a little bit like oh that's kind of not sounding too favorable but that's not what the lord has for us as we're seeing he's going to deliver us from that so start focusing worshipfully in who is coming and live for him now Though we're not looking for the arrival of the Antichrist, look at what the word talks about or says about the arrival of the Antichrist. And more so, let's look at the restrainer here. Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And we're going we're gonna to pick it up here in verse 5. Second Thessalonians 2 verse 5. Paul says something really interesting here. Here's what he says. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then... The lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Now, Paul is speaking of the revealing of the Antichrist. The lawless one. He uses that term lawless one. That's speaking of the Antichrist. So, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he's taken all the way. Interestingly, that word he is capitalized. If you've got a, a New King James version as I'm reading from here today, the he there in, in verse 7 is capitalized twice. Speaking of deity, more so I believe speaking of the Holy Spirit who's keeping things at bay. But more so, I believe this is referencing the Holy Spirit that is at work in the church as the church is called to be salt and light in the world and have kind of a, a restraining effect on evil unfolding all the more? Well, guess what? Paul says, the lawless one is not going to be revealed until he who is restraining is taken out of the way. What is he speaking about there? The rapture. 
And it's not that the Holy Spirit is suddenly going to be absent and gone. I believe the Holy Spirit is going to be very active during the tribulation period too, as many are going to be saved. But it's the Holy Spirit working in and through the church that's having a restraining effect. And you look at the amount of evil that we see unfolding today. Think about what that's going to be like once the church is gone. And you think about the amount of evil that's going to be unfolding. You know, we oftentimes think about the tribulation and go, man, it's, I, I think some people will say, I think we're just really a long ways away from the tribulation. You think about the things that, you know, Revelation talks about. It seems like, man, that's still a ways away. But think about this here. When the rapture happens and millions of people are suddenly gone, think about how people are going to be thrust into just kind of pandemonium or the world thrust into chaos and how fast things are going to develop with the reaction and response now of millions of people suddenly disappearing at the rapture. And so this is going to necessitate a global response and partnership with a global leader, will, uh, which is where the Antichrist comes in. To step in and say, okay, we need to bring some kind of order to all this now. And that's going to be the role of the Antichrist. You, you already hear so many things being talked about on a global scale. You look at how, you know, COVID has thrust things into just a, a global work that's going on. And for that to really reach its pinnacle, you're going to need a one world leader. And that's the role of the Antichrist. And with the disappearance of so many millions of people, guess what? That's going to bring that into play all the more quickly and we don't know if there's gonna be a time gap a bit between the rapture and the tribulation but what i'm saying is though it might seem like oh, i don't it just seems like we're kind of away from the tribulation now when the rapture comes you better bet your bottom dollar that things are going to rapidly progress towards what we see happening in revelation so he that is restraining the spirit at work in the church Church is going to be raptured up. Lawless one will be revealed. Let me reveal something else to you very interesting. At the beginning of this chapter, 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 1, it says this. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask him, let me stop right there. I think Paul, very intentionally, is referencing two things here because, as I've been saying, the rapture, a lot of times people you know, kind of confuse the rapture with the second coming or the second coming of the rapture. These are two distinct, separate events. And I believe Paul is very possibly hinting at both of these when he says, you know, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the second coming at the end of the tribulation, but then he says, and are gathering together to him. That sounds like the rapture, where we're going to be gathered to meet the Lord in the air with all the saints. So speaking of these two events here, but he says, not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from as if from us as though the day of christ had come let no one deceive you by any means for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed the son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called god or that is worshiped so that he sits as god in the temple of god showing himself that he is god notice something very interesting there in verse three don't let anyone deceive you a lot of deception, a lot of lies going on. That's the work of the enemy. A lot of that happening very much so in our day. But first of all, he says, that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And then what's going to happen? And then the son of man is, or sorry, the, the man of sin is revealed. Just like he says 
that he restrains will do so until he's taken away, and then the lawless one is revealed. So now Paul in verse 3 says that there's going to be this falling away. Now that's the Greek word apostasia. Translated one other time in, in the Bible, but that word apostasy, we get our word apostasy, where we certainly believe that there's going to be a great falling away from the faith. Jesus talked about that as kind of signs and evidence of the end times of falling away. But interestingly, Greek words oftentimes have multiple meanings, very complex. And this Greek word apostasy or apostasia has a second meaning. It can also mean departure. Departure. And that's the way that early English translations of the Bible translate that word apostasia. They use the word departure. Like I said, we know in the end times there's going to be a great falling away or departure from the faith. But I believe when you look at the context, and that's where you begin to really understand the, the right meaning of a word or the, the, the use of a word is through the context. I believe in the context that we're looking at here, this word falling away fits well with the departure of the church at the rapture and the removal of the restraining force of the Holy Spirit in the church. I believe Paul right here is referencing the rapture of the church with this falling away or departure. And then when that happens, the lawless one will be revealed. Because we've seen apostasy taking place for centuries. It's always been kind of happening What's it going to take for it to be kind of like a, a final apostasy or, or, or falling away of the faith? We know it's going to kind of be the pattern. It seems like Paul is identifying something a little bit more specific. In fact, Paul uses a definite article in front of falling away and Madison to which it reads the falling away and the Madison. Andy Woods put it this way. By providing these two definite articles, essentially Paul is indicating that the apostasy will be something that has specific time-bound qualities, just like the man of sin's coming has such qualities. In other words, just like the advent of the man of sin will be specific and an instantaneous event in future history, the coming apostasia or departure will similarly be specific and time-bound. Very intriguing stuff right here in 2 Thessalonians 2. I believe Paul is identifying the rapture of the church and unless the rapture of the church takes place, then the man of sin will not be revealed. But that must happen, which will usher in the tribulation period, of which we will be exempt from. I believe the church is going to be exempt from the tribulation or the wrath or judgment of God. And that's what we have to understand is that the tribulation period is the outpouring of God's judgment. In, in Revelation chapter 6 at the end there, when you see all these seals being broken and the tribulation you know, unfolding, that the people are running to the mountains, hiding themselves in the rocks, claiming, you know, hide us for the wrath of the Lamb has come. The wrath of the Lamb has come. Tribulation is, is God's judgment upon a Christ-rejecting world. And he's not subjecting his bride to that. What kind of a husband would allow his bride to go through a, a kind of pain and suffering at his own doing? A husband is called to protect his bride. That's what a loving husband does. It's no different than with our Savior. He's protecting his bride. Bible teaches this, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, For God did not appoint us to wrath, 
but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. First Thessalonians 1.10, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Revelation 3, verse 10, because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of tri trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. And then lastly, Romans 5, 9, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Aren't you grateful for that? You know, you remember Abraham when he was being told that Sodom and Gomorrah must be destroyed, and he's thinking, my nephew Lot lives there. And he comes and he begins to plead before God. God, listen, I know you to be a righteous God. If, if there were 50 righteous people in the city, would you spare the city? God says, yeah, for right, 50 righteous people, I'll spare the city. And, and Abraham's probably kicking himself going man why did I start with such a high number I should have started lower that was too easy I was, I was expecting a little bit more bartering it was too easy and so Abraham begins to negotiate and he gets down to finally 10 if there's 10 righteous people God would you spare the city God says yeah for 10 righteous people I'll spare the city well guess what it seemed like there wasn't even 10 righteous people there but God spared Lot and his family and he allowed them to flee out of the city delivered them from the judgment of God upon that city because God does not judge the righteous with the wicked. That's a, a pattern of precedent we've seen throughout Scripture. And thank the Lord that our sin has been judged already on the cross of Calvary. We don't need to go through God's judgment any longer because we've already been judged for our sin through Jesus Christ who died on a cross to pay the penalty for your sin and my sin. He took the very judgment of God on the cross so that you and I could be spared from that judgment. We no longer have to go through that any longer. We, when we receive Jesus and his salvation and forgiveness of sins, we're forgiven. Our sins have already been judged. We don't have to endure the judgment of God any longer. I thank the Lord for that. And if you're sitting here today or you're watching online right now, I want to encourage you, if you have not responded to this very grace of Jesus Christ, who came willingly, sacrificially, and put himself on the cross in your place so that you wouldn't have to suffer the judgment of God, but he did it for you. If you've not received that forgiveness of sin and you've not accepted Jesus as your Savior, would you do so today? The Bible says that all those that repent and turn from their sin and turn to Jesus in trust will be saved. You're trusting in his work and not your own work. None of us can be saved or right with God through what we do by us trying to live a good life, by us doing good things. None of that is going to make it. Jesus is the only righteous one who died in our place, who paid the penalty for our sin. But you need to receive that for yourself today. Would you receive that? That's the good news. That's the gospel. That's why Jesus came to this world. So that you can have life now, but life eternally. That you have a reason to live. That you have a hope today. That one day you are going to be with him and see him face to face. Oh, we might feel unworthy. No doubt about it. But that's the grace of God. He's given you this freely. Despite your unworthiness. Despite your sinfulness. 
He's done the work for you. Receive it today, personally. Accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Be born again. Find new life in Him. And I'm so glad for that. I'm so glad that I have hope. I'm so glad that I can live my life today expectantly. That one day I'm going to see Jesus, not because I deserve it, but because He was deserving and He's paid the penalty for my sin. Some people say, oh, this whole rapture talk, this whole rapture teaching, that's just escapism. And I say, yep, your point. (laughs) Are you looking forward to going through the tribulation? I, I think some people kind of have this idea like, oh, I need to go through the tribulation. It's almost like they're thinking, you know, we need to just atone for our sins. No, your sins have been atoned for. The tribulation is not for the church. It's not for the bride of Christ. Now, some people get confused because the Bible does talk about how we're going to go through trials and tribulations. In fact, it tells us, here's a promise that we don't like to underline in the Bible, but, but 2 Timothy 3.12, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. We're like, I'm going to you know, underline that in a way that I don't have to see it anymore. Like, I'm going to block it out. That's a troubling one. But here's the deal. We're going to go through persecution in this world. Jesus said as much in John 16, 33, when he said, these things I've spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, you're going to have tribulation. But be a good cheer, I've overcome the world. Jesus said as much, that we're going to go through tribulation. But here's the thing, my friends. We're going to encounter hardship, trial, and tribulation as a result of a fallen sinful world that is in opposition to jesus jesus says you can bet the world's going to hate you because they hated me because they hate me they're going to hate you we're going to go through difficulty in this world but it's a result of a a fallen sinful world it's not a result of god's judgment upon you We're not going to go through that seven-year tribulation period because that's a time of God's judgment. And as we've seen here today, we've been exempt from that tribulation. God's not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation. And I'm so glad for that. That's our blessed hope today, my friends. It's reason for us to live excitedly, expectantly, and I pray we're living evangelistically, knowing that Jesus is coming soon. And I want everybody to hear it. I want everybody to know the gospel, to know the opportunity they have to be right with Jesus and to spend eternity with him. May we live our lives prepared to live differently in this world, not to shriek, shirk, what's the word? Shirk back? Is that a word? Okay, whatever. You know what I'm trying to say. Not to cower in fear, not to run away, but to live to say, Man, the Lord's coming soon. I want to make the most of every day that I've got. I want to live large for Jesus. That should be our heart here because of his soon return. Amen? Amen. All right. Worship team, would you come? Yeah. Thank you, Rose. I appreciate that. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, we praise you. We love you. We thank you, Jesus that you have saved us. You've given us life abundantly to the full today. Lord, we thank you for eternal life that we have now as a result. The promise, Lord, of your soon return where we will be with you forever and ever. We rejoice. We thank you, Lord, for that promise, the hope that we have. And I pray that we live hopeful lives, Lord. God, we know that the world is getting more and more evil. 
But Lord, you're coming again and you're going to make all things right. It's only when you are here again, physically in this world, that things are going to be made right. In the meantime, Lord, we want to live with our hope in you. We want to live, Lord, in a way that is making a difference, sharing our faith, sharing our hope with other people, letting people know that they can experience life in you, ultimately life eternally. You provide salvation for us, Lord. You provide hope, and we thank you. May we live that way, God. And Lord, we see our world around us, and it is in a bad state. And we do pray for our world, Lord. We pray for our own elections taking place tomorrow, Lord. And we pray, God, that you would bring the right man into office, Lord, to serve as our prime minister. And Lord, ultimately we know these days that we live, you might bring a person in that is different than what we were expecting or hoping. But God, we know that you're sovereign, you're in control, and you bring the right person in that will unfold your purposes and plans. So help us, Lord, to be at peace regardless of the outcome. And Lord, ultimately, we just pray, God, that whoever you bring into office, that you would get a hold of their hearts, Lord, and turn them to you. That, Lord, they will choose to rule this nation in righteousness, and the only righteousness we have is your righteousness, Lord. So may they be ones that will turn to you and follow you, Lord. And we pray that for all of our, our governing bodies, Lord, all those that are, are serving in different areas, that they would, in these days that we live, turn to you, Lord. So lead in this, I pray, just for peace and unity, regardless of the outcome, God, and that we would just trust you to know that, God, you're carrying out your will, just as you said you would. And may we be, again, just ever so close to just following you in all that you have us do here. All for your glory, we pray, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's just sing a song in closing here.